Good to be back. We had a great vacation. Our uh, marriage, I now know, is more solid than anything because I drove in Ireland. We drove about 1,400 kilometers. On the left side of the road, a stick shift, and Doreen sat in the passenger seat, and most of the roads are about this wide. So um, we did have insurance on the car, which was a good thing because I think she put a hole through the floorboard (laughs) trying to press the passenger side brake constantly. Um, but yeah, it was great. And thank you guys for the prayers and the well wishes. We had, a, we had a fantastic time. It's beautiful there. I highly recommend if you get an opportunity to go do a driving tour. And if you need somebody to drive you, let me know. I'll go with you and take you around. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Doug for his great message last week. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I love that idea of while it is still today. And, and he shared that with us from Hebrews. And, and that, I, I kind of want to follow that up with an invitation to still look at what we talk about today and, and in this series that we're going to go through on the Sermon on the Mount. While it is still today, make some decisions, take some steps. So our, our verses today are from Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to read these two verses. I'm going to read these from the message. Normally, I don't use the message paraphrase for study or preaching, but, but there's a, the, the way they wrote this, they give a really good picture of what it means to be a disciple. So I just wanted to use the message this morning for these two verses. Listen to this. When Jesus saw his ministry was drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. Father, we're so grateful for this this greatest message that's ever been preached and just the opportunity to press into it and to glean from your truth the invitation to live a life that we cannot live apart from you. And so God, I pray that you bless us and let your word take root in us. Lord, if there's anything in my ignorance that I say that's not the fullness of your truth, just let it hit the floor and never to be be picked up by any of us. But God, let your spirit go before us. Filter every word through your truth, through yourself, and let us receive it as good seed to sprout up to life in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So recently I read an article, I was kind of fascinated and um, curious. And so I read an article by a guy named, named Ed Elliott. And this guy, what he did was he did a little bit of research. He examined all of the words of Jesus in the four gospels to see if Jesus actually talked more about heaven or hell. And, and he found uh, something that was rather interesting to me he discovered that there are 1,900 verses that contain the words of Jesus. 60 of those verses, or about 3% of those verses, were about hell. 
he found that 192 of the verses, or about 10% of those verses, were about heaven. So, so Jesus spoke more about heaven than he did about hell, which is kind of interesting, right? Well, there's something else that struck me in this. If 3% of the verses that have Jesus' words were about hell and 10% were about heaven, my question was, so what were the other 1,748 verses about? What about the other 87% of his words? Well, those words aren't about heaven or hell. The other 87% is about life. It's about relationships with God, with others. It's about navigating this life. How do we live into our citizenship as live people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How do we live into that here, now? That's the other 87%. And so over the next six weeks, we're actually gonna walk through the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the greatest collection of the other 87% in the Bible. And we're gonna approach each week like it's a crossroads, a fork in a road that demands that we choose something, that we make a decision. And the choice that we're faced with as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount and as these words become part of our life is really a simple choice. It's just, is the choice of this. Will I walk into the kingdom of self or will I walk into the kingdom of God? In this moment, will I walk into the place where I serve me or will I walk into my citizenship as a member of the kingdom of God? And so the choice each week will come down to what you perceive Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount to be. The first choice we're gonna face this week is this. Are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount words of teaching or are they words of training? They're words of teaching in that Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God here and now. And they're words of training in that Jesus came to make us into what he teaches us we should be. And so that's the difference. The teaching tells us what we should do, but the words of training actually create something in us. And so as we look at Matthew 5 today, verses 1 through 20, the fork in the road for us is really simple. It's this. Am I going to approach the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, as teaching or training? For our purposes, I want to define these two things. I want to spell out the difference between teaching and training. And teaching tells me things that are important that I need to know. We've all been taught things, right? Remember math class when you're growing up? Teacher says, hey, you got to know this. Science. Anybody have to memorize the periodic table of elements? When's the last time you used that? You're at a restaurant and you go, hey, that's an ACL right there in that shaker. Great. But we need to know certain things. And that's what teaching does. Teaching gives us information. It tells us things that are important that we need to know. But training makes me into someone who can actually practice what I have been taught. That's the difference. Teaching tells me what I need to know, but words of training actually make me into the kind of person who can do what I've been taught to do. 
So for us today, the crossroads as we approach the Sermon on the Mount is simply that. Am I going to approach this greatest teaching of Jesus as teaching simply things I need to know or am I gonna approach it as training? Because it's both of those things really, but our goal is going to be to receive the Sermon on the Mount as more than just teaching. I think oftentimes we present it as teaching. It's the greatest teaching of Jesus. But it's more than that. We have to let these words have their way in us so that we can become what they tell us to be. That's the difference between training and teaching. And so when you see the Sermon on the Mount as training, it means that the Sermon on the Mount now becomes a statement of the life that we will have when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. So the Sermon on the Mount as training is revealing to us what we're being made into when we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way with us. And so if we're gonna approach these words of Jesus as training, we have to do a few things. The first is we have to have an expectation to be changed by his words. If we simply sit down and read the Sermon on the Mount as something we must know without any expectation of being changed by his words, we're approaching it as simply a teaching, not a training. Second thing we have to do is we have to recognize that the words of Jesus change us. His words actually change us when we saturate our hearts and our minds with them. And so the Sermon on the Mount over the next six weeks is not something that we're gonna take off the shelf periodically, read a little bit of and put back. We're actually gonna let our hearts and our minds sit in these words. And then here's the last expectation we have to have if we're gonna approach the Sermon on the Mount as training rather than simply teaching. His words in the Sermon on the Mount are the lens through which we must view everything else in our lives. There is no other reality other than the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount for those of us who have committed to him, who are apprenticed by him, who are trying to live into the kingdom of God here and now. And so you must choose at this crossroads. At this crossroads this morning, you have to decide, am I going to approach the Sermon on the Mount as a good teaching and try to do it? Or am I going to approach it as Holy Spirit-empowered training in Christ-likeness? That's your choice this morning. And it's a choice that is before all of us. And it's a choice that we have to make, not only when we approach the Sermon on the Mount, but in every moment of life after we have heard these words. We no longer have the freedom to say, I didn't know. Once we hear the words of Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of God is, and you are invited to live in it. And so I'm gonna give you a little bit of context before we dive into this, because we're gonna be in this, this message, this sermon for the next six weeks. And so the Sermon on the Mount is actually exposure to the reality of God. It's Jesus coming in and saying, I know what you think the world is, but let me now tell you what it actually is. What is God's reality here in this place? It's an invitation to life. 
Jesus, as both teacher and savior, is inviting us into living by the rules of the kingdom of God in this sermon. Not at some point in the future after we die, but here now. He's inviting us into allowing him to make us into the kind of people who can actually live in the kingdom of God. And so as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, we have to remember a couple things. First thing is this. Jesus is telling us how we should live as citizens of the kingdom of God here and now. His words in the Sermon on the Mount are his way of saying, if you want to live in the kingdom of God here and now, this is what it looks like. This is how you do it. And the second thing he's telling us is what he intends to make us into if we're willing to participate with him in the process of sanctification. So we get Jesus saying, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, and this is what I'm gonna make you into if you'll let me. And so we begin in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. And, and as I said, I chose the message paraphrase, and I use that word intentionally, because the message is not a translation of the Bible, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. It is the English translation of the Bible, rephrased and then laid out to make it a little bit easier, more modern language, a little more acceptable, a little more digestible to, to some of us. And so don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, saying that the message is a, a translation like the NASB or the NIV or the ESV. It is, it is certainly a paraphrase. And it's a paraphrase that I love to read sometimes because it has a depth of reality in it that's very graspable. Now, having said that, I rarely use the message as a study tool. I'll say that up front. So, in the message paraphrase, the reason I chose this is because of the context of the word disciple here. Listen to these verses again. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him the committed climbed with him. That's the invitation to all of us in the Sermon on the Mount. My question for you is, will you accept the invitation to become an apprentice of Jesus? To commit how you live this life right now to his kingdom instead of the world's kingdom. And so we need to clarify what it means to be an apprentice and what it means to be committed. First thing is this, an apprentice of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus and learning to do what Jesus did, the way he did it, and by the power he did it in. So an apprentice of Jesus is someone who says, I'm gonna spend my time with Jesus, and I'm gonna learn to do what he did, to live as he lived. Remember what he told his disciples, greater things than this you will do and I'm gonna do it in the way he did it. And I'm gonna do it by the power he did it in. And so that's the first step. If I wanna be an apprentice of Jesus, I have to say this is what I want. And so an apprentice of Jesus is somebody who says, I value his words as ultimately relevant. If you want to be apprenticed to Jesus, then you have to say, in every moment of my life, the most ultimately relevant truth is his word. 
And when I see things that go against his word, I will not live as if they are true. His word is the most ultimately relevant truth. The second thing an apprentice of Jesus needs to do is needs to, needs to desire to live as Jesus lived. When you look at his life in the gospels and you say, that's the life I want, then you're ready to apprentice yourself to him. If you look at his life in the gospels and say, I don't really want that life, then don't call yourself an apprentice of his. But as an apprentice, we have to desire to live as he lived. The next thing an apprentice needs to do is understand that Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of that life that Pastor Doug was talking about last week, that life of peace and joy that we can have that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we need to understand that the life that Jesus lived, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was a life that came through perfect union with God. So if I want to be an apprentice of Jesus, I have to say I want to live in union with God. So, so that's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. And then we need to define the word committed. Because someone who is committed is a person who is structuring all of their life around a certain purpose or goal. And so for the apprentice of Jesus, that purpose or that goal is found in Mark 12, 30, the greatest commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the Sermon on the Mount, the words that we're gonna walk through the next six weeks are for those who have apprenticed themselves to Jesus, what the message calls the committed. Now, I know in a room like this, some of us have said, yes, I want to apprentice myself to Jesus. I'm committed to that. Some of us have said, mm, I'm not so sure yet. But do this. If you're not at a place where you say, I want to apprentice myself to Jesus and I want to commit to that, don't give up on this series because as we walk through it, you may find that your desire changes. You may find as you see the life that he invites us into in his words from the Sermon on the Mount, that you come to a place where you're ready to make that decision. To say, I want to be apprenticed to him. I want to commit to him. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, what we're gonna see is that everything Jesus says here is about living in the kingdom of God. And so it all has to be filtered through that lens. It doesn't mean that we're gonna arrive as full-blown citizens of the kingdom of God here and now, but the Sermon on the Mount needs to be seen as an invitation offered at every crossroads of life to ask ourselves, which kingdom am I going to live into? And that's the purpose of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, to invite us to at least consider, at least think, Am I going to live in this kingdom here and now or am I gonna to choose to live into the kingdom of God in this moment? That's the invitation. And now because of the life Jesus lived, the death he suffered and the resurrection from that death, we actually now have the freedom to choose how to live because he freed us from our slavery to sin. If he hadn't freed us from that, these words in the Sermon on the Mount would not be an invitation, they would simply be frustration. 
Because apart from that freedom, we cannot choose to live into the kingdom of God, the life Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount now. But because we've been made free from sin by his life and death and resurrection, we can now live into that choice. That's the other 87% of his words. It's about choosing because he's accomplished this. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 6, 17. Listen to this. But thanks be to God that you, you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Two things going on in this verse. The first is, you're going to become obedient to the standard of teaching that you're committed to. That's just truth. So if you are not committed to the standard of teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you will become committed to whatever standard of teaching you're committed to. You will obey that. Now, the standard of teaching that Paul is speaking of here is given in its greatest detail by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Paul recognizes that without our commitment, we cannot choose obedience instead of sin when we encounter each of these crossroads in our life. So we're back to that idea of being apprentice, being committed. That is our part. That is what we must deal with in ourselves. In this moment, who am I apprenticing myself to? Who am I committed to? And once I take care of that, then I have the freedom to choose obedience to the kingdom of God. I have the freedom to choose the life that Jesus is inviting me into. So the first invitation in the Sermon on the Mount is to choose to be an, an apprentice of Jesus. And I want to remind you, what's an apprentice? One who is with Jesus, learning to do what he did, the way he did it, and by the power he did it in. Simply put, it does not require some great effort on my part or some deep examination or some unpacking of all the wounds in the history of my own personal life. It simply requires a commitment to say this. I'm gonna be with Jesus. I'm gonna learn to do what he did the way he did it and by the power he did it in. That is an act of prayer. <laughs> Simply put, that's a decision that I make in a quiet moment with God. And when that decision wavers, I make it again. And when I'm faced with that crossroads, that choice of what am I gonna choose in this moment? Am I gonna choose to apprentice myself to the world to get what I want? Or am I gonna choose to hold on to my apprenticeship to Jesus? But make no mistake, I have to choose to become an apprentice of Jesus. I have to choose that first, and then I have to choose it over and over and over again. To actually be apprenticed to Jesus is a series of constant choices. It's not a one and done decision. The Sermon on the Mount is about how I'm gonna live. It's the other 87%. How I'm gonna live is rooted in decisions I make in moments, not a choice I make one time. And then once you decide you wanna be apprenticed to Jesus, then you have to commit. You have to commit 
to the vision of your life lived as a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. As we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll understand more what that means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God now. You have to commit to intending to choose the path of obedience and devotion to Jesus when you face each crossroads. You have to commit to practicing the means, the spiritual practices of devotion that structure all of your life around the purpose and goal of loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The fact that the invitation is to be an apprentice to Jesus and to commit to following him moves the Sermon on the Mount from simply a good teaching to a training regimen for those who are committed to being apprenticed by him. The decision you have to make as we explore Jesus' greatest sermon is this. Do I intend to be taught or to be trained by the Sermon on the Mount? Simply this, am I trying to simply learn what Jesus said or am I letting his words make me into something? Am I trying to do through teachings or am I trying to become through training? That's the choice we face with these words. So with all that in mind, we can move into the Beatitudes in verses three through 11. And so at this point, when Jesus is delivering the sermon in, in Judas, uh, Jewish history, Judaism had become more about a religion than a faith. And in, here's my definition of religion. Religion is about man reaching for God. Faith is about God reaching for man. And the practices of Judaism at this point in history had become about people striving and working in their own strength to try to satisfy God. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus showing up on the scene in this point in history of faith, of humanity, and saying, I am going to do a great reorienting. I'm going to reorient all of this from religion to faith. And it's the love of God, not the law of God, that is the motivation behind this great reorientation of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He is exposing his people to God's love rather than having them shackled by God's law and self-striving. And the reorientation begins with the, sermon, with the Beatitudes because the Jewish mind was always thinking at this point, how do I reach God? And Jesus comes along and says, here's the question. You got the wrong question. The question you need to ask yourself, who is God reaching for? And he starts that with the Beatitudes. And so with the limitless love of God as the backdrop of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts by saying who it is that God is reaching for. And it's not who the average Jew in Jesus' day would have expected. Jesus tells his apprentices that, that God is reaching for and blessing the ones who know their own spiritual inadequacies and their own shortcomings. Anybody ever feel like that? He's saying God's reaching for and blessing the ones who refuse to play the world's game of harshness and power, even if it means you're not gonna get your way. He's saying he's reaching for the ones who long for the world to be a better place, a place of goodness and justice. He's reaching for the ones whose hearts break and hurt 
for the pain that others go through. The ones who live out of a simplicity of heart and refuse to be cunning or to take advantage of others simply to get what they want. He's saying God's reaching for those who choose peace over pride or self-promotion. He's reaching for the ones who choose the right way, even if it means it's gonna cost them everything. He's reaching for the ones who stand in the name of Jesus even when they're hated or destroyed. That's the intro to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's actually pretty unsettling to religious people who are reaching for God in their own goodness. Jesus is flinging open the gates to the kingdom of God to all of those who have been outsiders. That's why the religious elite had such a big problem with him. He kicked open the gates of heaven in this world and said, wait a minute. All of you can come in. You cannot make your way in here. I am the way into this place. And you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you think of yourself, can live in the kingdom of God now. And he said, oh, by the way, it's all about God's grace instead of your work. But he didn't stop there. Then he tells the marginalized and the outcasts that they're actually salt and light. Could you imagine? As a good religious Jew, you're sitting there and all of a sudden this guy shows up and looks at those who have no standing in religious society and says, not only are you welcome into the kingdom of God, not only is God reaching for you, but I need you to know this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In my head, I have a picture of all these people sitting there going, wait, you got the wrong guy, man. You don't know me. How can you call me? Look, look at these Pharisees over here. Look at their robes. Look at how they pray. That's not me. That's not me. And I think Jesus is looking at him and going, I know. That's why you're salt. That's why you're light. Because you know you have nothing to offer the kingdom of God so you can receive all that the kingdom has to offer you freely, openly. And notice this. He didn't say you will become salt and light. He said you are. Now, these are people who didn't know him. This is his first sermon. How does he know that? How is it possible that he takes these marginalized, dismissed people and says, you are emphatically salt and light? Remember, he's not talking to the religious elite. He's talking to those who are apprenticed to him, the committed, the ones who are on the fringe. And so in order to understand how this group of religious second-class citizens and marginalized people could be called salt and light, we've got to go back to verse one. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed. The only way it makes sense to say that these outsiders are salt and light is if we understand that by apprenticing themselves to Jesus, by committing themselves to him, in that moment, he made them something that they were never before. 
So remember this, right? Jesus came to make us into what he teaches we should be. Remember this, an apprentice of Jesus is one who is with Jesus and learning to do what Jesus did in the way he did it and by the power that he did it in. And also, reminder, the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. So having said all that, do you see what that means for those of us who have been apprenticed to him, who have committed ourselves to living under his training, to becoming what he is and what he desires us to be? If these people on the margins were salt and light simply because they apprenticed themselves to Jesus and committed to him, then guess what? We are salt and light too. By the virtue of the fact that we said, I'm going to apprentice myself to you and I'm going to commit to you and I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to become who you teach me to be, we are also salt and light. Do you know what the problem is? We just have a tendency to not see ourselves as salt and light. We have a tendency to fall back into what the religious elite did. Are you good enough? Have you prayed enough? Have you walked purely enough? Have you said the right words? Have you read the right books? And see, here's what happens. The Beatitudes are a reorientation from law to grace, from religion to faith, but they're also a reorientation of our own identity, telling us who we are as salt and light instead of letting us live as if we're something less than. And so we get verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Salt and light know that they're spiritually bankrupt. Salt and light knows that we need the spiritual life of Jesus in us. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Salt and light feels great sadness for those who haven't experienced God's love and sadness over the fact that the world is not as God intends it to be. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Salt and light leads with the power of God and the love of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Salt and light groans with all of creation for the redemption of all things. As Paul writes about in Romans 8, 22. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Salt and light has experienced the mercy of God and offers it to everyone because they've tasted just how sweet it is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Salt and light longs to have his or her heart made pure, just as Jesus' heart was pure. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Salt and light shares in proclaiming the peace of God with man through Christ to all. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Salt and light knows that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and because of that, we are safe in this world that rejects us just as it rejected our master.
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Salt and light understands that the comfort of the presence of Jesus far exceeds the pain of libel and slander and attack at the hands of people. And all of that culminates with verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see what happened here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these first 20 verses of chapter five? These outcasts, these marginalized people, these irrelevant people have been made citizens of the kingdom of God simply by apprenticing themselves to Jesus and devoting themselves to that lifestyle. That's all it took. Commit to say, I will spend time with you, learning what you did, doing it the way you did it and by the power that you did it in, and I'm gonna commit to that. And as a result, Jesus has made these people salt and light. It's resolved, it's done. And so the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, after the Beatitudes, after verse 20, simply is just training. It's training on how to live as salt and light, as citizens of the kingdom of God. But it's not training that says, do this, eat this way, exercise this way, and you become that. It's training that says, if you will let my words rest on you, in your heart and mind, I will make you into what I am teaching that you should become. So as he says, be this, he's also making us into that. That's why the choice between teaching or training is so critical as we approach the Sermon on the Mount. If it's training, then I simply apprentice myself to the one who is the trainer and commit to that and let his words do what they will do. If it's teaching, then I try to memorize it and learn it and go out and do it. Which I think many of us have tried that path and found it doesn't work. There's a lot of things I read in scripture that I want to do, but I know inside I'm not the kind of person who can do those things. But as I walk with the one I'm apprenticed to, the one I've committed to, funny thing happens on the journey, I realize I'm becoming the kind of person who can do the things he says I need to do by his power, by his presence, not by my effort. And so remember, Jesus came to make you into what he teaches you should be. Jesus came to make you into what he teaches you should be. Salt and light. And so how does that moving us into the kingdom, how is that moving us deeper into the kingdom of God? Well, when we apprentice ourselves to him and commit to his training and becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God, we move deeper into his kingdom. We live out of who he's making us to be more and more. We face those crossroads and we choose to step into who he says I am who he says I'm becoming, who he's making to be, me to be instead of what I think I want to be. 
And once we apprentice ourselves to Jesus and commit to participating with the Holy Spirit, he will make us into what he teaches we should be. Our job then is to sit in his truth, in his word, to let this great reorientation of his words in the Sermon on the Mount rest and abide in my own heart and reorient my heart and my mind towards his kingdom here now instead of my kingdom here and now. And then we engage in the lifestyle of training in in the kingdom living by practicing what Jesus practiced. As he makes us into what he teaches us we should be, we continue to practice that. And so I want to invite you into two training activities in Christ-likeness, two practices of Christ-likeness this week. And I want to invite you to practice these things over the next six weeks as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think they'll help you live as salt and light. I also think they'll help you deepen your apprenticeship to Jesus to expand your commitment to him. And so the first thing is this. I want to invite you to read Matthew 5, 1 through 20 every day this week. Just those first 20 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Just each morning as part of your devotional time or each evening before you go to bed, read these words and let them sit in you. Let them saturate your heart and mind. The next thing I want to invite you into reading is a fantastic daily devotional by a guy named Oswald Chambers. I'm sure many of you have heard of this. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. You can find it online. You can even go to the website utmost.org, put in your email address, and they'll send it to you every day. It's brief. It's less than a page. But I want to invite you to commit to reading Oswald each morning for the next six weeks of this series. And now understand this, that reading Matthew 5, 1 through 20, and, and my utmost for his highest, is about the word of God doing a work in you. It's not about us doing something that... that is a work to find favor with God. It's training. And I think you're going to be amazed at what the Word of God will do in you when you simply apprentice yourself to Jesus and commit to being trained by Him. And so remember, the choice that we face this week as we read these words in the Sermon on the Mount is how am I going to approach these? Am I going to approach these words as teaching, something that I must do, or as training, something that's going to do something in me. Do you want to know more about Jesus, or do you want to become like him? Because teaching is a great way to know more about him. Being trained by him, being apprenticed to him, being committed to him, is the only way to become like him. And so this week, as you face your life, as you read your Bible, I want to encourage you to approach the Sermon on the Mount as training, not just simply teaching. Father, we just come to you and ask that you would have your way in us. Do with us what you will, Lord, but we just want to be apprenticed to Jesus. We want to commit to that. We want to stand before you one day and say, we have become like your son as we've lived this life. And so, Lord, we know that that each day brings a crossroads, moment by moment, choices that we have to make. And so, God, give us the, the truth of your word. Train us to become people who can choose to walk in this world 
the way Jesus himself walked in it, as we become more like him. And we ask that you would do that by the power of your spirit and with love and grace so that you would be glorified and others would be blessed. Amen.